Would you just stand and welcome uh, Jonathan Ennis to the platform as he comes to share the word with us this morning? Thank you, everybody. I want to say thank you again to Pastor Seth for inviting us here. Uh, like Pastor said, uh, my name is Jonathan Ennis. Uh, my wife and I, we are missionaries to the Republic of Guinea. Uh, we are both missionaries' children. Uh, I grew up in the nation of Nigeria in uh, West Africa, and my wife grew up in the nation of Niger, which is uh, the country just north of that. Uh, we did not meet until we were in college, uh, but we actually lived closer when we lived in Africa, uh, even though we were across an international border from each other, than we did while we dated, while uh, <laughs> uh, I was youth pastoring and she was still in college. So uh, we are going to the nation of Guinea, and there, there's a few facts about this nation real quick. Uh, between 13 and 16 million people about 90% of the nation is Muslim, about another uh, six to seven percent of that is what you would call animist, or, uh, and that would be people that uh, follow traditional African religions. Those are probably also heavily mixed with Islam as well. Less than 1% of the people in Guinea have even had a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Less than 1% of this, between 13 and 16 million people, have ever had the option to know anything about Jesus. Uh, for us, if you want to know any more about us, I've got a couple of links for, for you here. Uh, this first link here, engagingafrica.org, you, uh, you can follow that. That's our personal website that gives more updates about us, more, more info about us. And then this, this second link here, it's going to come real important towards the end of this. This, this is a website. It's real easy. I want to be a missionary.com. And we're going to talk a lot about the call of God and about why we do what we do and why I believe God is calling people in this room to do exactly what we're doing. And so real quick, I'm going to pray and then we're, we're going to move, move forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get a chance to come together. We thank you that we get a chance to worship a God who does all of the things that we sing about. When we call, you hear us and you answer us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we get a chance to follow you in what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when we talk about uh, the call of God, there's this wonderful book that we have that helps explain how we relate to God and how God relates to us. It, it's called the Bible. I hope every one of you has it. Uh, and, and in the Bible, we have a whole bunch of stories of people who have a call of God on their life and how it changes how they act and, 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 and how those things happen. The first one I want to talk to is in the first book of the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, uh, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. When my wife and I were dating, uh, we've been married, uh, it'll be five years next month. And when, when we were dating, we both knew that God had called us to some form of ministry and we, we thought missions would possibly be on the horizon. And so we, we didn't want to even date each other unless we knew that the other person was was called to ministry, and praise God, she was, and I'm, I'm very happy with that. Uh, 
And so when, when God began to stir our hearts to leave pastoring, we, I had pastored for almost 10 years when, uh, when we left pastoring. Uh, when God began to stir our hearts with that, it wasn't a surprise to us, but we didn't know where God had asked us to go. In fact, when we filled out our application with Assemblies of God World Missions, we just put Africa on our application because it was all we knew. We knew God had called us to missions and we knew that God had said somewhere on the continent of Africa. And I don't know if you guys know this, Africa is a pretty big place, over a billion people in Africa. There's over 50 different countries in Africa. And for people who grew up on the continent of Africa, that made us kind of feel stupid because we were like, we know Africa is not a country. We know, we know it's a continent. And we, and, but we didn't know where we were going. Eventually, we decided, we told God, we'll go where we feel like we fit and where we can learn. And that ended up with us signing up to go to South Africa and to a city called Cape Town, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Uh, in fact, we went there in December and it was this awesome experience we had. But the week after, we were at a meeting with all of these other missionaries in Africa. And they showed some videos and talked about some countries where we don't have missionaries currently. And one of those countries was Guinea. And I'm about to show you a video that changed our plans and made me really identify with God saying, go to the land that I'll show you. And so real quick, we'll show this video and then I'll come back. Guinea is a country of about 13 million people today, 85% Muslims, but we also have a huge percentage of animists who have also adopted Islam. So I can push the percentage to 90, 92%. 13 million people, less than 1% evangelical Christians, that's a huge need. And among uh, the people groups that are in Guinea, we have three big people groups, the Malinkes, the Susus, and the Fulanis with the sub-tribes that are attached to those groups. Guinea is a Muslim majority country, but it is not an Islamic state. So because of that fact, we can go everywhere and preach the gospel. Um, there is persecution, but that has not stopped us from planting churches. Our prime minister, current prime minister, is an evangelical Christian and is a Pentecostal Christian. That is a huge opportunity. He has been visiting our churches and he, we have that support. We have support of the different people in government um, right now. So why has God given us this uh, open door? I don't know, but I think we should seize the moment right now and plant churches all over. Jesus has said that we should ask the master to send laborers. We need laborers. We want people that can come and work with us. We want people who God has called to church planting. Um, using different strategies that they can come to us and we together can work and plant churches all over this country. And also focusing on specific 
people groups that are still unreached in this nation. But we also need people that will help us to train laborers, train pastors. We mobilize our pastors so that each local pastor with his church should plant at least one church a year. Some of the churches are doing two churches a year. Some are doing four churches a year, like my own local church. We have said we are planting four churches a year. We started with about 70 congregations in 2017, but in five years, we have planted 143 churches. I believe that it is the time that we should plant churches. We don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what terrorism will do coming close to our borders like with Mali. We don't know what's going to happen. So now is the moment we must plant churches. There is an opportunity for us to do it today. You see, the nation of Guinea in 1958, when it received independence from uh, French colonial powers, immediately became a communist nation. And it fell under this darkness and this, this kind of hatred of all of the West. And so even in uh, 2015 and 2016, uh, there had been an opportunity where we had tried to sneak some missionaries in, uh, missionaries that I know personally, and, and that had fallen through because uh, the, the government was so suspicious of Americans coming in that they wouldn't even give them visas because they were afraid that they would be missionaries. But praise God, these uh, men like that man, in the, uh, that man in the video had been raised up in other African nations. Uh, in fact, that man had been uh, discipled under Assemblies of God missionaries from the state of Arkansas. Uh, and when he was able to sneak in when Americans couldn't, and they were able to start churches that kind of hid from the government and all of these things, and all of a sudden, in this dark place where evil had been able to run rampant in this country, God created change. You see, in, uh, in 2020... Uh, in 2021, the longtime uh, dictator, uh, Guinea, between 1958 and, uh, and 2021, had only had two different heads of state. Both of them were military dictators. Uh, and so in 2021, the longtime dictator was deposed by the military. And when the military went in, they decided that they were going to clean shop and they were going to uh, just place someone in charge of the nation that would not be corrupt. And so they went and they found the person who had the lowest office of the executive government, and that was the Department of Tourism. And so they took the Secretary of Tourism, who, by the way, Guinea, one of the least visited tourist places in the world. Very few people go to Guinea for tourism, and if they do, it's mostly for deep sea fishing. And so uh, very little tourism there, but they took the Secretary of Tourism and were like, you're the new president. That secretary had been attending these underground secret churches. It's a Pentecostal Christian whose life belongs to the Lord. And you see, God changed the whole dynamic of the nation of Guinea from a country that didn't want Americans to come in because they were too afraid that they were missionaries to where their head of state has called and asked us to come. Wow. 
He has given us over 200 plots of land all over the country in 200 different cities and said put churches in these different cities because we need them. He's given us a building in the capital city and said this is your Bible school. If you can get teachers in to train pastors, do it. And that is what we are doing because when God says the place, I'll show you. You see, in Hebrews, when, uh, and I don't have this on, on the screen, but in the book of Hebrews, when the author talks about what uh, Abraham was doing when, when God said, go where I'll show you, Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews says he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And that's what we're doing. We're going to a nation who God is building the foundation. And all we have to do is say yes and follow and do what God's asked us to do. Because God is in it. No one can stand against us. But you see, there's also some other stories in the Bible about what I don't want to do. One of those also happens in the Old Testament, and that's in the story of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, it begins with this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go uh, go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I read the Bible, I I like to know where things are. Uh, And even when I read, like if I'm reading a fiction book, uh, if there's a map in the front of that book where it it shows where things are happening, whenever it's like, and they're in this city, I'm flipping to the front to try to find it. And so when I, when I read the Bible, I do that. And uh, the book of Jonah, it starts off with, we've got a whole bunch of cities we get. We get some pretty easy cities. Nineveh, Nineveh is pretty easy to find. That's in modern day Iraq. Uh, Joppa is pretty easy to find. That's in modern day Israel. And then there's Tarshish. And I couldn't find Tarshish on my map in, in my Bible. And Uh, So I did what everyone else does when they can't figure out something. I pulled out my phone and I Googled it. Uh, The wonderful thing is no one else knows where Tarshish was either. So uh, we have some wonderful guesses. Maybe it's in uh, modern, in Sardinia, which is an island off the coast of Italy. Maybe it was in southern Spain. Maybe it was even in southern Britain. But all of those things have one thing in common. They are very far away from Israel and in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so Jonah decides that he is going to get on this boat and go the opposite direction of where God has called him. In fact, uh, if he was going to go to Nineveh, he should have just walked. No boat required. No, no, not. uh, He was absolutely doing the wrong thing. Uh, But he gets on this boat. And then one thing you have to realize with the book of Jonah is it's written in this literary style called satire. And so it's written where these crazy things happen, and you're supposed to look at the crazy things that happen and realize they all have a deeper meaning. Uh, When you think about satire, a lot of political cartoons are written in satire. Uh, A lot of sketch comedy shows like Saturday Night Live, Monty Python, those those most of their sketches are in satire because they're trying to either make uh, make fun of something or they're trying to uh, make a political statement or in the book of Jonah, it's trying to make spiritual statements based on these crazy things that the people do. And so we begin with one of these crazy things where the prophet of God hears from God and doesn't do what God asked him to do. And so he gets on this boat and then God sends this storm to this boat. And so these pagan sailors that are supposed to know nothing about God wake up the prophet, shake him awake, and say, hey, pray to your God that we don't all drown. And eventually he argues with them, doesn't want to pray, and eventually they even uh, draw straws, cast lots, try to find 
uh, out who has made the gods so angry that uh, they're trying to kill us. And eventually when it comes out that Jonah is the one who has done it, he says, okay, all right, look. Yes, I'm a prophet of God. I'm disobeying God. So your best option is not turn around so I can go to Nineveh. Your best option is to throw me overboard so I die and I don't have to do what God told me to do. And Jonah convinces these people to get in on his suicide plan. And immediately when they throw him overboard, we have another one of these big satire moments where the pagan sailors that know nothing about God because as soon as they throw him overboard, the storm stops. And they're like, oh, we're going to stop what we're doing and we're going to sacrifice and we're going to worship God. And so they worship the Lord even though they're supposed to know nothing about him. Meanwhile, Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean and it gets pretty clear that Jonah, Jonah dies. There's some poetic language with that, but Jonah dies. Is then his, his corpse is swallowed by this big fish and then God brings him back to life in the belly of the fish. And finally, Jonah goes, okay, God, I'll do what you asked me to do. And then Jonah gets spit up on land, walks to Nineveh, and you would think does exactly what God asked him to do, right? Nope, nope. He, he does, in Hebrew, it's a four-word sermon. And it's, in 40 days, all of you are going to die. And he walks away. And in fact, uh, I think in... Uh, King James, it says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And uh, that, that, that word that the King James translates as overturned is the same word that Genesis uses for Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jonah, Jonah's like, fire, brimstone, y'all all gonna die. And then he walks up onto the mountain to watch fireworks. And, and he sits there and some other things happen. And then the end of the 40 days comes up. And Jonah's angry with God because he hasn't destroyed Nineveh. And there, he's looking down at the city and not only have all the people repented of their sins, which Jonah didn't even tell them to repent. He purposely didn't tell them to repent and they still repented. The Bible even says their cows repented. Now I drove past a bunch of cows here. So I know all of you know that if a cow is repenting, there is some real serious strangeness going on. That's another moment. That's another one of those satire moments. The cows have repented, so we need to realize this is a big moment. And then we end the book of Jonah with Jonah yelling at God into the sky saying, I knew you would do this because I knew you were a God of mercy. And then we get the last sentence of the book of Jonah where God says, why would I kill all those people when I don't even want to kill their cows? And we get left with this moment where the book of Jonah doesn't tell us how Jonah reacted to God. Because remember, I said it's a satire. It's not about how Jonah reacted. It's not about the narrative that happened. It's about what do we do with what happened in that story. Why are we supposed to care about what this prophet did? You see, there's only one other time in the Old Testament that Jonah is mentioned. And he's mentioned in the books of the kings when the kings of Israel and Judah are about to go to war against the Assyrians. He comes to the kings and he says, God has told me that he's going to restore the borders of Israel to this place and this place and this place and bring victory against the Assyrians. Well, the Assyrian capital is a city called Nineveh. You see, Jonah's whole claim to fame amongst his people was the death and destruction 
of the Assyrians and the Ninevites. You see, Jonah was outright racist. And he cared more about the destruction of his enemies than he cared about the goodness of God. Remember, he said, he told God, I knew you would do this because I know you're a God of mercy. I have a friend that wrote a book about this, and he said, Jonah's theology and understanding of God was pretty perfect. It was his willingness to follow up with what God had asked for that was suspect. You see, I can very easily feel like Jonah sometimes. Now, let me tell you a little story about these people called the Fulani. We'll, we'll go here. The Fulani, they are uh, between 25 and 30 million people that live all over, uh, all over West Africa. And they are these pastoral people. They, they, they're nomadic. They don't really follow national boundaries really well. Uh, and, and they cause a lot, of, uh, a lot of chaos politically because they don't follow these national boundaries. And uh, less than 0.2% of all Fulani people have a relationship with Jesus because they're almost entirely Islamic. I want to tell you a story about a man named Bula Setu. Uh, Bula Setu was my dad's best friend growing up in Nigeria. I remember sitting in... Uh, sitting in a truck with my dad when I was 15 years old when he gets a phone call from Nigeria telling him that his, his, his best friend, this man with this wonderful smile here, had been captured and tortured and brutally martyred by Fulani herdsmen because he was a pastor. This man that had led literally tens of thousands of people to the Lord had been killed because of his faith by Fulani herdsmen. When that happened, something kind of welled up in me that wasn't from God. And, and I have a lot of bitterness and anger towards an entire group of people because I felt wronged. And it was almost 10 years later when it became time for my wife and I to get married that she said she wanted her pastor from Africa, from Niger, to come and preach our wedding. When I met her pastor, and, he, and we'll show his picture here. His name was Bubakar Barema. He's one of the very few Fulani people who has ever heard the gospel and accepted Jesus. One of less than 200 known pastors amongst the Fulani people. But God used that moment meeting him to change my heart. God used that moment to change my life and to let me realize that I need to walk in the forgiveness that I've gotten from him. And you see, years later down the road, when God called us to Guinea, which is the homeland of the Fulani people. I don't go with bitterness and hatred. You see, I go to a nation where their head of state has given the Assemblies of God 200 plots of land all over the country. I go to a nation where he's given us a Bible school for us to already have and already occupy. Because, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 23 that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But it doesn't stop there because they don't get to stay our enemies. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, it says those who are far off have been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. John chapter 1 says that they've been given power to be called the sons of God. Because of a change of the atmosphere. When they meet Jesus, it changes who they are. And so when I've met Jesus, it has to change who I am. And I can't act like Jonah. You see, it changes who I get to be. Another story about someone who got a call from God happens in Isaiah chapter 6. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, he has this moment where he sees the glory of God. He's, he's in a time of chaos, and so he's, he's where he thinks is the right place to be, and that's in the house of God. But he sees all this chaos, and, 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 and he's there, and suddenly he sees God. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him are these angels with all these wings, and they're shouting to one another, yelling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And, and it, he says they're, they're shouting so loud that it was shaking the temple, and it was filled with smoke. And then he says, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live amongst the people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, then one of those seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, who will I send as a messenger to these people and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. You see, the moment that Isaiah had that time with God that changed who he was, the moment that he saw who God was and God cleansed him of his sins, there was a question, who's going to go? And Isaiah had to say exactly what everyone else of us has to say. I've met Jesus. What else do I get to say but see her my sin me? You see, once our lives have been changed, we don't really get an option. You know, in the book of Acts, when, when they get to a certain place, uh, they say, hey, the people that have turned the world upside down have gotten here. And we live in a world that needs to get turned upside down. I don't know about this side of the state, but I know in East Arkansas, the natural state of the world is a whole bunch of kids that are being raised by grandparents because their mom and dad are in jail. Uh, I know, I know in, where, where I live in Arkansas, we've got drug addiction. We've got pain. We've got broken families and broken homes. And we've got all of these different things. But... We serve a God that wants to turn the world upside down. You see, in the nation of Guinea, it's number one in the world in child marriages. It's top 10 in the world in female genital, uh, genital mutilation. It's all of these different uh, aspects of really bad things. But when God got involved, the World Economic Forum said it had the largest single-year turnaround of an economy since, they've been, uh, since they have been tracking the statistic. And all of these things are changing because the God that turns the world upside down is sending his people there. And that's what we need, is people who just say, here am I, send me. I don't have any qualifications. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really have all, all, all of my ducks in a row, but I've met Jesus, and Jesus changed my life, so here am I, send me. You see, you don't have to have it all figured out. Sometimes you're not too old. I know your pastor and his wife know this couple I'm about to talk about. Their names are Kenny and Denise Manis. They have pastored for uh, 30 years, and God called them to go to Zambia and Africa, and they said, here am I, send me. Maybe you're like, uh, maybe you're like my friends, uh, Jeremy and Callie Lance. They, they worked, in, uh, they owned a coffee shop in Indiana, and, and they had... All of this that they were going, they were giving money to missions and all of this stuff, but then something began to tug at their heart. And so they've packed up, they're selling their coffee shop, and they're about to move to Cape Town, South Africa to work in a church there because God said, who's going to go? And they said, here am I, send me. Maybe you're like my friend Alex. My friend Alex was, uh, was a backslid preacher's kid. 
And he was, he was a, a high school band teacher here in Arkansas. But God changed his life. God called him back into a relationship with him. And now he's serving in Africa because when God changed his life and got a hold of him, he just said, look, here am I. Send me where you want me to go, God. And that's what every one of us has to do. You see, God works everything out for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Every one of you here is called according to the purposes of God. Because the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should inherit eternal life. And this is not something that just gets to stay with the people on the platform. This is not something that just gets to stay with your pastors and your youth pastors. This is not something that just gets to be something where, oh, well, we pay people to do that and we, we give money to people to be missionaries. No, you are the gospel. Your feet are supposed to be what goes and tells people about Jesus. If you have met Jesus, it's changed your life and you got to say, here am I, send me. You see, and I'm going to share one more verse and then a story. You see, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is looking out over a field and he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord that's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. You see, you don't have to be some sort of pastor or evangelist or you don't have to have an official title. Because the Lord in charge of the harvest is just asking for someone to go into the harvest. In the book of Luke, uh, when, when Jesus tells that story, he says something about the field is white and ready for the harvest. And if you've ever been around grain enough to know when grain starts turning white, it's not that it's ready to be harvested. It's rotting and it's about to fall off those stalks. Jesus was seeing prophetically that there are people that will die and go to hell because no one ever told them about Jesus. And that's what we've got to do. And you know what? Maybe you're supposed to follow that link from earlier. I want to be a missionary.com. I'll write that down for you. I've got it on cards uh, and all of that. And maybe and, and, and I'll, I'll walk you through that whole process. I'll give you my cell phone number on and we'll, we'll walk you through that. Maybe you need to you need to take a step towards more full time ministry and you need to talk to Pastor Seth about getting involved in our psalm or, or getting involved with getting ministry credentials and, and stuff like that. And, and that's awesome. But more likely than either of those, there are people in your sphere of influence right here in this area that no one else in this room, no one else in the kingdom of God has access to. But God's put you there for them to tell them about Jesus. And, and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to share this story. But I'm going to pray a holy blessing of discomfort on you. I pray that like we talked about with Isaiah, that fire from God. I pray it would hit you like the, it says in the book of Jeremiah. Be fire shut up in your bones where you can't be quiet because it's going to eat you alive from the inside out. I pray that God would use that fire to write on the inside of your eyelids names and draw the faces of these people that you know and you're the only one who gets the access to. So every time you close your eyes to go to sleep, it would burn on you because that's the only way we are going to turn this world upside down for Jesus is if we get this. So real quick, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to share you a real quick story about what that looks like practically. Heavenly Father, I pray for these people and I pray that you would begin to give them the discomfort of knowing that we are all called to you. We are all called to bring other people into the kingdom of God. I pray that you would write 
those names and draw those faces on the insides of our eyelids that every time we close our eyes, God, we wouldn't even be able to blink without tearing up for the kingdom of God. I pray that you would chase after us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does this look like practically? Practically, it looks like Cody. This is my friend Cody. Uh, a couple of years before this picture was taken, I met Cody for the first time. When I was 14 years old, my mom got really sick and we ended up having to move back from, uh, move back from Africa. And we ended up moving to Springfield, Missouri, which was a pretty big change. And uh, I ended up going to public high school. And I determined at 14 years old that I was gonna make a change in my public high school. And so it was the first day of school, so I loaded up my backpack full of Bibles and and I was like, I'm going to give all these out. So I go to my first class of the day. I sit down next to Cody. And we start talking. And he's the first person I've met in the new school. And we start talking. And uh, a little while goes on. And I'm like, all right, here's, here's my big moment. So I reach in my backpack, pull out one of those Bibles. And I hand it to him. And I said, hey, would you like one of these Bibles? He looks at it, sees that it's a Bible, throws it back in my chest and says, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm gay and the church hates gay people. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our mouths before we say something stupid. And uh, 14-year-old Jonathan was about to say something stupid, I'm sure. But I promise you, it was just as easy as I was speaking in tongues. I told Cody, I said, I don't care what the church has done to you in the past, but I know that God's got a plan for your life. That plan is for you to know him, be known by him, and for you to tell other people about him. And for the next four years, the Holy Spirit orchestrated that Cody and I had back-to-back -back classes every day of high school with each other for the next four years because the Holy Spirit was chasing after Cody. And all I had to do was say, yes, here am I, send me. You see, about a year and a half later, Cody was a singer. We lived right outside of Branson. And even, even as a middle schooler, he would go and he would sing in shows and get paid. Well, for about two weeks, he loses his voice completely. And so he looks, at, he looks at me one day, we're walking through the hallways, and he looks at me and he goes, Jonathan, will you pray for my voice? I was like, this is our moment. This is, this is revival's going to hit. And so I'm, 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 ser I'm serious. We stopped in the middle of the hallway, 1,300 students in our school, and I grabbed him by the throat, and I'm speaking in tongues, and I'm, you know, fire's going to fall, and all, all this stuff, and nothing really happens. And I feel like an idiot because I've got to go to world history class after I've just caused this huge commotion in the, in the hallway. And, but you know what? That night was youth convention. The preacher at youth convention preached a message kind of like this. Our whole point, nothing else matters if we don't tell people about Jesus. And so while everyone else runs down to the altar to cry and snot and stave off conviction like sometimes we do where we, we just, you know, if we cry enough, we don't have to do what Jesus told us to do. I went, I went to my youth pastor and I said, I really need my cell phone back. Uh, and he knew me well enough to know that this was, this was a Jesus thing. And I grabbed my cell phone and I walked out the back door and I called Cody. I said, look, the day we met, I told you that God had a plan for your life. His plan was for you to know him, be known by him, and for you to tell other people about him. And I don't care if God ever heals your voice. I need to know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Right there on the phone, I led Cody to the Lord. I've got a picture now of Cody. Cody's no longer 
a young boy confused about his sexuality. This is him and his wife, and he and his wife were just elected pastors of the church that his grandparents went to that he said hated him so much. And so God changes and turns the world upside down if we just say yes. So as Pastor Seth comes back, I want to tell you, God's calling who goes? Maybe it's to Africa. God's calling people to Africa. Who's going to go to Africa? Maybe it's to vocational ministry in Arkansas. Who's going to do that? But who's going to go to the people that only you know? Your option is to either disobey or to say, here am I, send me.